The Power Zone Sports Podcast is presented by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, our realtor, Stahl Alvarado, and our newest sponsor, Jeffrey Shainer and JaVale Vacation Rentals. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is good. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swag lane drive left field. Wonder on his end. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Well, 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 we have finally reached the moment of truth. Selection Sunday is finally here. The bracket will be unveiled on Sunday night, 6 p.m. for all the world to see. Who is in? Who is out? Bubble teams bursted. Where will the little guys get pitted? What 12? Do we all think we'll beat a five and all things in between? Welcome into the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. Like I said, we've uh, reached the start of the greatest three-week event on the sports calendar, getting ready to happen with March Madness. Remember, uh, Sunday night, brackets will be unveiled, CBS, 6 p.m., ESPN, uh, CBS Sports Network for all your analysis. You'll see all the bracket stuff for, for a couple of hours. So that will be really good. Want to give a shout out to TJ Reeves and the folks over at TuneIn for allowing me to be a part of the Big South Conference Tournament Final on Sunday. TJ and I went up to Charlotte over the weekend, last weekend, and did the Big South Final on Sunday. We had a tremendous game. Number one seeded UNC Asheville survived the valiant effort of the Campbell Camels. The camp Campbell was the seventh seed. NC Asheville was the one seed. Asheville came back from 14 down in the second half with seven minutes to go to win and earned the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So uh, great job by the Big South Tournament hosting the tournament in the Bojangles Coliseum up in Charlotte. Uh, they did a real good job on the event, uh, operationally and such. We had uh, we had a great game, and again, thanks to uh, TJ Reeves and the TuneIn uh, platform for allowing me to be a part of the broadcast. So, all right, we got a good episode for you. We are going to talk some uh, NFL franchise tags. The franchise tag deadline expired on Tuesday, so we'll give you a quick. I'll give you a quick synopsis summary of where that's at right now as we head into the weekend. Got two great interview spots. We are going to talk with Ian Eagle, famed broadcaster with CBS Sports. He does stuff for the Nets, TNT, TBS. We talked to I talked to Ian as part of uh, I do some uh, fill in work with Mike Grace and his sports radio show called The Press Box. And Mike was able to uh, one of the days I was filling in. Mike booked uh, Ian Eagle, and we have a, we're gonna have a great. You're gonna hear that 
conversation with uh, Mike Grace, myself, and Ian Eagle. We talked about a lot of cool things. Didn't talk about a lot of sports, actually. Talked a lot about stuff about his career and just some. Uh, you'll get a kick out of some of the nuggets that uh, Ian drops. Um, so I think you'll enjoy that interview with Ian Eagle, CBS Sports, TNT, uh, NBA coverage, New Jersey Nets. He's just a uh, he is a uh, budding star. I mean, he's a star in the profession for sure. And remember, he'll be taking over Final Four duties for Jim Nance beginning next year in 2024. And you'll you'll hear Ian on the uh, NCAA coverage next week, first and second round. And then you'll see him in a regional uh, in the uh, in the regional round as well. So. Ian Eagle is really cool to talk to, so you'll enjoy that. And then we're going to talk to Steve Carney. Steve Carney is a uh, guy down here in the Tampa Bay area, covers the Tampa Bay Rays, does some work for Major League Baseball. He has the uh, Under the Orange Roof podcast. He's the host of that. And we're going to reminisce and celebrate the life of Dave Wills. Dave was the play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Rays for going into 18 years. He unexpectedly passed away over the weekend. Actually, when we, when TJ and I were in Charlotte on Sunday morning, uh, the news broke that he had he had uh, unexpectedly passed away in the uh, Sunday morning. And TJ knows Dave a little bit and as well. So that was uh, a lot of a lot of breaking news Sunday morning with Dave Wills passing away. So we're just going to talk to Steve Carney, who knew Dave pretty well, about uh, just his his legacy as the the Rays broadcaster and such. And we're also going to talk to Steve about some of the um, new rules in spring training. Time clock, pitch clock, bases, shifting, all those things, how that stuff is uh, taking shape in, in spring training as we lead to opening day here at the end of March. So good episode for you. Uh, again, let's hit, let's hit a couple of these NFL franchise tag uh, s- stories and narratives. Um, if you didn't see, Daniel Jones re-signs with the Giants, which allowed them to then put the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley. And Geno Smith re-signed with the Seattle Seahawks. And the Buccaneers made a couple of moves. They released Donovan Smith. They're going to release Leonard Fournette, probably Cam Brait. So they are, they are having to, remember, all teams by next Wednesday, March the 15th, have to be at or below the salary cap. You cannot be over the salary cap between now and next uh, Wednesday when the new league year starts. Um, so, you, you, again, there'll be plenty of more moves to be made here in the next several days leading up to next Wednesday. The teams have to get under the salary cap, uh, period. Forget about signing free agents. So, um, next Monday on the 13th, the kind of the open tampering period is open. There's basically a three-day window when agents and teams and players can start negotiating uh, with teams prior to Wednesday when the league year starts. So you'll see a lot of these deals will get consummated on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, you did obviously just, we just had the NFL combine where a lot of that stuff, hint, wink, wink, was happening behind the scenes as well as far as deals getting made and things like that, uh, anticipating the new year starting. So a lot of action at the combine last week. And obviously at the combine, you saw the uh, Anthony Richardson was kind of the star of the quarterback class. You know, C.J. Stroud had a really good day from all indications throwing the ball, but Richardson with his physical skills and his uh, records he set running and, and jumping, you're going to see a team most likely jump up to take Anthony Richardson. Uh, all the all the drama around how tall and how 
heavy was Bryce Young going to be. Uh, that All that stuff happened. So all these pro days will be happening here in the next several weeks leading up to the draft, which is at the end of April. So you'll see more and more of this stuff happening. Obviously, these combine workouts have a little bit of uh, – of, of, uh, affect the decision making of these teams going into free agency so you will see what teams are thinking by what they do in free agency or maybe what they don't do uh, as far as signing players especially the teams that maybe need a quarterback you'll see what they're kind of leaning towards if they don't uh if they don't sign somebody in free agency and such so um got several teams that need quarterbacks uh, the, again, the biggest the biggest news in the franchise tag world was Lamar Jackson being franchise tag, which is was was expected, but was not sure which way the Ravens would go. Would they give him the non-exclusive tag or the exclusive tag? Remember the non-exclusive tag, which the Ravens did put on to Lamar Jackson, now Lam- allows Lamar Jackson to go negotiate with any team in the league. Uh, and get a deal, which would if and if they get an offer sheet, that would allow the Ravens seven days to match the offer. So, so Lamar could go to the Atlanta Falcons, the Charlotte, uh, you know, the the Carolina Panthers, the Miami Dolphins, whatever team he wanted to go to. If they were willing to give him an offer sheet, he could sign the offer sheet, and that would allow the Ravens seven days to match. Obviously, with Lamar Jackson. The hang-up seems to be the guaranteed contract. Lamar is, is, is sounds like, is demanding that his, the entire contract be guaranteed. The Ravens don't want to do that. You know, obviously the albatross in the room is the Deshaun Watson deal, $230 million fully guaranteed. The Ravens don't want to pay that, nor should they pay that. Uh, in my opinion, I think uh, the, the the next number is like 189 with, with of guaranteed money goes to Kyler Kyler Murray. I think it's some you know some range between 189 and 200 would probably be the number I would probably give Lamar Jackson if you're going to give him. But I would not guarantee an entire four or five year contract at 50 million dollars a year to Lamar Jackson for sure. If I was Lamar Jackson, what I would try to do, I would try to go sign a three year you know. $130 million deal where it is maybe potentially guaranteed, you're still within that would allow you in three years to go and renegotiate another contract in your prime. And you're and the dollars will be even higher with the TV money and such. Uh, I would not, if I was Lamar, probably sign a five year deal. Um, I would probably go a short, shorter term, make a little bit more money per year, and the odds are you'll get more of that contract guaranteed. Uh, and remember, Lamar Jackson is representing himself, does not have an agent, which I don't think is a great move because as a, as a great point was made on TV earlier this week, Lamar Jackson doesn't have relationships with these other teams, whereas if he had an agent, those agents typically have relationships with the general manager, the ownership, because they have other players that they're representing that play for other teams around the league. Lamar Jackson has no relationships with these other owners and these other general managers, so it's going to be much more difficult to get a deal done, especially to to Lamar Jackson's liking. If you had an agent, so don't think I don't think Lamar is going to get a fully guaranteed contract. I think you will have to settle for somewhere around potentially two hundred million guaranteed. But again, not a fully guaranteed contract. And the other big NFL story is Aaron Rodgers. All indications are that uh, the Packers are, are going to be willing to trade him. And obviously, the Jets are the number one person, uh, number one uh, team on the list after Derek Carr signed with the New Orleans Saints earlier in the week. 
representatives from the Jets, the ownership, the general manager, the head coach, and the OC, Hackett, Sala, Joe Douglas, they all, Woody Johnson, they all flew out to California early in the week to visit with Rodgers. So I think you'll see a deal get consummated here in the next four, three or four days, probably leading into Monday. Um, because the Jets need to know what, what what their situation is. They need they they need to go into free agency knowing do we have to go sign? And remember, if they don't get Lamar Jackson, I mean they don't they don't get Aaron Rodgers Monday by Wednesday, they could then make a run to try to go get Lamar Jackson. So that's something that they could do. Um uh, uh given that uh given the scenario of what it is. But I think you'll see an Aaron Rodgers situation resolved by probably Monday over the weekend. Uh, and then obviously they'll get a they'll get compensation worked out with Green Bay. I would think you're gonna probably get a, a number one pick for Green Bay. You're gonna get a if you're Green Bay, you're gonna probably get a one and maybe a three or a one and a two, something like that. I don't think you'll get two number ones for Aaron. I think you'll get a one and either a two or a three for Aaron Rodgers. Um so that to me that's I, I would think that's where the where the the compensation will land at somewhere in that range so uh lots of nfl news getting ready to happen in the next uh five six days with with all the free agency stuff not a huge free agency class as far as star players um not a lot of big names out there but you'll see some trades you'll see some guys get cut that kind of unexpected and there will be at least one or two wow moves made by a team whether it's a quarterback signing whether it's a trade whether it's a you know player getting cut there'll be a couple of wow moments that you'll see here in free agency in the next couple of uh several days here so uh again you're going to enjoy our chat with ian eagle remember you can reach out to us on twitter at jpo sports if you've not already done so subscribe to the podcast uh again want to thank our sponsors titan home lending um Javiel Vacation Rentals, my guy Jeffrey Shaner. If you're looking for a, a condominium, if you're going down to the uh, Caribbean, uh, if you're looking for a condo in St. Martin's, love to hook you up. You'll hear the ad in the, later in the uh, in the podcast here of the opportunity to rent a place very reasonably priced in St. Martin's if you're looking for a Caribbean vacation, as well as my guy Todd Tedesco at Printon. Uh, Marketing Solutions and Star Alvarado, our Bay Area realtor. And you can reach Star at 813 538 9572 if you're looking to sell, sell or buy a home anywhere in the Tampa Bay area. So, lots of uh, thanks to all those guys for partnering up with us in the Powers on Sports podcast. And again, enjoy our my chat with Ian Eagle and Steve Carney. We'll be back in just a minute. Now, a word from Jaleel Vacation Rentals. As we enter the 2023 vacation season, if you are heading to the Caribbean down to St. Martin's this vacation season, reach out to Verbo.com, listing number 650201, to rent your perfect penthouse condo that overlooks St. Martin's and the ocean. This two-bedroom, two-bath condo, use the promo code JASON23 when reserving it with Jeffrey Shaner. 941-830-0056. And again, Verbo.com, V-R-B-O.com, listing number 650201. You can reserve this condo anytime throughout 2023. The condo and St. Martin's is half Dutch and half French. It's a beautiful vacation spot for both your family and or that special loved one in your life. 
So reach out to Jeffrey Shaner, 941-830-0056, and tell him the Powers on Sports podcast sent you. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. March is here, and it's glorious. you got to love it. Drive Who isn't ready for that? It, it's still February, but we're close to March Madness, and we cannot wait. Uh, going to be uh, talked about uh, everywhere, including here inside the press box on this Thursday, the 23rd day of February, 2023, episode 544 of the program. That's the voice of Ian Eagle, who joins us here in hour number two. We start by welcoming Jason Powers in. Jason from the uh, Powers on Sports podcast joins us from Tampa. Great to have you back with us, Jason. And you came at a great time, my friend, as Ian Eagle uh, does join us. Ian, I'm hoping you you're sitting somewhere like with you know in a in a in a lounge chair with a cool breeze blowing across you maybe maybe a maybe a tall glass of something with umbrellas in it i'm thinking you deserve a break man what kind of schedule have you been keeping lately good grief let me analyze where i am uh, no cool breeze no tall drink no lounge chair i'm basically where aaron rodgers is that's, that's where i'm at <laughs> In the dark, <laughs> just pondering uh, life itself. Well, look, seriously, though, I mean, you you got a little break for the NBA uh, All-Star break, but you've been doing NBA, your regular Brooklyn Nets, but also what uh, NBA on TNT and TBS these days, CBS yep. football through through the, the regular season. You're getting ready for March Madness. Heck, you had Kentucky and Tennessee Saturday with Bill Raftery. So uh, it's been a crazy schedule for you lately. It has. And what ends up happening when you get assigned with Bill, it's not the game that's the challenge. It's the night before that's the challenge. You have to navigate your way through that night. You have no idea who's showing up for dinner. You have no idea what time the dinner will end. You have to put some boundaries on the social experience. I didn't know that my my first four years paired with Bill. I didn't know I was allowed to leave. So I would get back to the hotel, oh, 2, 2.30. This guy the next day was like a spring chicken. He was on the <laughs> treadmill doing his walk. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm struggling to just get through the day at the time as a 27, 28-year-old. So now, as a cagey veteran, I, I understand the weekend at hand. I understand how to attack it, and I understand how to avoid the pitfalls of raf and 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 but prior to that before the nba all-star break i talked to you or text we swapped text messages a couple of times and in both instances you were in the midst of five games in five days in five cities how how much of a toll that must that take man yeah it 
Really, it's about the compartmentalization more than anything else. The games themselves, you're ready, you're prepared. All of us that, that have done this, we recognize the work that goes into it. And when you show up, that's the fun part. The fun part is the game itself. It's the getting in between the game travel that can bring the stress and the angst because then it's not in your control. You control none of that. Your hope is the flight takes off at the right time and the car is there to pick you up and so on and so on and so on. So fortunately, yeah, everything went really smoothly. The Super Bowl was in there as well. I ended up doing the world feed with Charles Davis. Uh, huge, huge numbers in Sri Lanka. I don't want to get into the specifics. <laughs> You've always been huge in Sri Lanka, man. Huge, yeah, yeah. huge. I can't walk the streets of Sri Lanka without a mob. Uh, it was fun. It was a blast. The game was a classic. And just being there, being a part of it, it was the first time I had ever called a Super Bowl in any form. I had done the world feed on NBA Finals, on NCAA Final Fours, and it just gives you a, a real taste of of being in that environment and preparing and delivering in the moment. It doesn't change anything when you put the headset on. You're not thinking about where you're going and who's listening and who's watching. You're just focused and lasered in on on what you have to do. So a lot of fun being in Phoenix for a couple of days and and doing it with Charles. A blast. Got a phonics question for you, Ian. I'm sure you're, Ian, I call you Ian. I'm sure you get called that a thousand <laughs> different times. And that was the Oedipus of my question. Where did that where did the where did the family pronunciation of Ian come from as opposed to Ian? Because I'm sure you get it all the time. Sure. Hey, Ian, is that a family thing? Yeah. So uh, I was born 1969, a great year. My dad's mom had passed away prior to that, and her name was Ida, and he wanted to name me after her so you have limited options at that point you could go ira and you might sound like an accountant for the rest of your life you could go ivan and you might sound a a bit archaic in some way yeah conqueror of some sort or you could come up with a new pronunciation of an old name the name as we know it is usually pronounced ian but my father and mother put a twist on it, and they liked the sound of Ian Eagle more than Ian Eagle. So yeah. that's all I've ever been when people ask, you know, obviously I have some go-tos. One is, do you know anybody named Brian? They say, of course. I said, well, how do you spell it? B-R-I-A-N. <laughs> I was like, yeah, take the B-R off. What do you got? <laughs> oh, I wow, am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That just blew my mind. I, I went many, obviously, many times uh, I'm – I'm uh, hearing the other pronunciation, and I get it throughout my youth, throughout my childhood. There were a few things that happened over the course of time. One, I had it rolling. I felt good about it. Everybody in school knew me as Iron Eagle. All of my friends knew me as Iron Eagle. And then senior year of high school, the Lewis Gossett, Jason Gedrick film, Iron Eagle, came out. Yeah, yeah. And then that threw it for a loop because now people (laughs) – just assume that I was named after a film, Iron Eagle. And I thought it was good. You know, like for a year, I dealt with it. That thing lived for a while, by the way, guys. That wouldn't go away. Then Iron Eagle 2 comes out two years later, and it comes right back to me. And then two years after that, Iron Eagle 3 straight to video. This thing wouldn't die. So I have had athletes and coaches just go with 
iron. I met Jerry Jones for the first time when I got the CBS job, 1998. Mark May and I get paired together, and we go down to Jacksonville to do a preseason game, Dallas and the Jaguars, and we're just doing a run-through. It's not on the air. They just want to put us together, get some of the timing right, get some of the logistics right. So Mark says, hey, let's go down on the field. Go see some people. I'm like, yeah, why not? Go down to the field. And who's there? Jerry Jones. Mark says, Jerry, Jerry, how you doing? Uh, hey, Mark, how you doing? Want you to meet my new partner. It's Ian Eagle. He says, Iron? I said, uh, uh, yeah, Ian. He goes, Iron? I said, uh, it's Ian. He said, Iron. Iron. I said, no, Ian. He goes, Iron. Like, yep, iron. Let's so, just go whatever you say, Jerry. Yeah, it's his. <laughs> it's his world. So whatever he says. Right? Yeah. Well, look, I got to give it up for mom and dad. Number one, to recognize the the sound of I and Eagle as opposed to Ian Eagle. I mean, I think I think that's brilliant. Um, and look, we've talked to, to your son Noah uh, about being a second generation broadcaster and doing this. What about your folks? And 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 how how did they factor into your uh, becoming the broadcaster that you are, Ian? Oh, yeah, in a major way. My, my dad was an actor, stand-up comedian, and a musician. My mom was, was a singer and an actress. So that's all I knew growing up. They met in 1968 at the Playboy Club in Chicago. My mom wow. was the opening act. My father was the closer. And you can figure out what took place after that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Who's got a better story I, than that, man? That yeah, they yeah, talk about meat cutes. That's the best meat cute ever, man. Come on, it's the real deal. So somehow in this bizarre world we live in, uh, Hugh Hefner is responsible for my existence. <laughs> the uh, the reality is uh, they were both incredibly encouraging, and because I grew up in a, a rather a different, unique household. The idea of doing this was was not out of out of the realm of possibility. They told me at a young age, you'll do whatever you want to do. When I said I wanted to be a sportscaster, they said, well, that's what you'll do. So when you hear that at the age of eight, you believe it. Your parents are telling you this is something that's feasible and you just laser in on that. This is what I'm going to do for my life. So they were incredibly encouraging. Then obviously the performance background, watching them on stage for as many years as I did. Uh, she would open for my dad at the Catskill Mountains in New York. And you know, my dad went on to have uh, a lot of success in commercials, did 50 commercials, some very famous and, and uh, important spots. First commercial that ever used a religious figure, 1977 Super Bowl Xerox commercial. He played Brother Dominic, the monk, and that turned into about 17, 18 years worth of work and also paid for college. So it, it all worked out. Now we know why you can hang with Raftery on the streets of Knoxville. <laughs> That's a good point. That's exactly true. Thank you, Jason. Nobody has ever pointed it out that succinctly. You're right. Yes. Yes. All right. On to the court. A couple questions, broadcasting questions as we as we approach Selection Sunday. Talk about the as a broadcaster, the lead play by play guy, whether you're going to Omaha, Orlando, Birmingham or wherever. Talk about the 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 pressure and the timeliness of having to prep, prep for eight teams on Selection Sunday. You find out at 6 o'clock you're going to wherever regional. Talking about the 18, you got three days to get ready for 18 yeah. for a Thursday game. Talk about that. Yeah, by far the, the most 
stress that I feel over the course of the season, even amidst what Mike mentioned, uh, doing five games in five days, it doesn't compare to the phone call. And now it's really more of a text or an email. It used to be a phone call where you'd sit at the phone, eight o'clock would hit, selection Sunday. So all the pairings are out. You've looked at them. You've studied them. You've printed the combinations of games that you might get. And then you allow your mind to go there. Ooh, if I go to Spokane, I've seen four of these teams. Or if I end up in uh, Charleston, I've seen two of these teams. Or if I end up in Austin, I've seen none of these teams. And then you get the phone call. And it's like slow motion. They say, Ian, you're going to Seattle. (laughs) No! You know that it's not going to work out in terms of your prep. So it is what it is. I've been doing it for 25 years. I can't tell you that it gets any easier because it doesn't. You still have to go do it. It doesn't matter how many years you've done it. You have no idea the mystery of it. I think for someone like me and for so many that do play by play, getting ahead is such a key part of feeling comfortable. So never feeling that, that level of, oh my goodness, I have so much to do today because I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. This particular assignment, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Literally, you can't prepare for for all 68 teams. So you, you've just got to wait it out, be patient. And I, I say this, and at some point I'm going to probably do it. I should just write myself a very direct letter and seal the letter every year and open it on Selection Sunday. And all the letter would say is, it's going to be okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've done this. It's going to work yeah. out. Yeah. Do you catch yourself as we get the last couple of weeks here trying to catch a 10 or 15 minute uh, show on Fox or ESPN or wherever saying, hey, I might see Winthrop. I might see Illinois or somebody they haven't seen during the year just to catch a couple of names or a couple of highlights of, of, of a team like that playing? Big time. Big time. The last, I'd say, the last month, right from here to the tournament is when you stop at a TV and pop on an FS1, an ESPN2, uh, an ESPN Plus game, just to get the names in there. Even if they're not committed to memory, if they're floating around your head, you'll find when it's time to actually do the prep that there's some sense of recall. The other part too, and this is just, I think for anybody that's that's doing the NCAA tournament or any event that requires you to memorize that many names in, in a short period of time, when you show up for that practice day, the day before the NCAA tournament, that becomes such a huge part of your prep because you're taking the names that you've learned, you're now putting faces to those names, and in addition, you're looking for anything that can connect for that name. If it's a tattoo, if it's something different with their hair, they wear a shooting sleeve, they've got a knee brace on. Honestly, any of those things are a huge aid in you getting to the place where you need to be comfortable to do these games come Thursday or Friday. I what about the what about the wordsmith uh, part of this? And we're give, visiting again with uh, with Ian Eagle, the next voice of the Final Four after Jim Nance does one more for CBS Sports. Uh, Ian will take over in twenty twenty four. What about again the catchphrases? Do you ever think about that stuff ahead of time, or does that just come naturally? No, it's mostly what comes out in the moment. You know, you can 
you can workshop things and you can go over in your head 25 times if this happens i'll do this and the reality anybody that does this for a living knows once you're in the moment you have no idea what's going to be said and how it's going to be said you've got to trust your instincts and i think that's something that that i learned over time there's one particular moment that i remember it was the 2000 ncaa tournament so it was my third year doing it and i had seton hall in that region tommy amaker was the head coach and they pulled off a couple of upsets to get to the sweet 16 tommy ended up using that as a springboard to get the Michigan job. And it was a fun Seton Hall team. Shaheen Holloway, current head coach, was a player on that team. Yep. And there was a backup point guard by the name of Ty Shine. And in the second round, Ty Shine made the biggest play of the game. And I, in that moment, kept going over in my head, man, this could be a great line high shine one shining moment Mm. the connection there seems so obvious to me and i got to the moment and i didn't go with it like something inside me this is 23 years ago said ah maybe it's corny Uh, maybe people might might mock it and i didn't go with it (laughs) and i i'm telling you to this day it bugs me that i didn't trust my instincts And that was a huge turning point for me, even as a broadcaster in general, not just the NCAA tournament of, hey, go with what hits you in the moment. Don't worry about it. If you believe in it and if it comes from a a real honest and genuine place, odds are the audience is going to connect to it in some way. So there are times where you take some chances, but for the most part, at this stage of my career, I just go with my gut. One last question for me. Talk about the, the difference between the NBA and the NCAA tournament, the suddenness of the NCAA tournament, whereas NBA, it's best of seven in the playoffs and all that good stuff. Sure. Talk about your how you get that feeling in your doing a game when you're six, eight, 12 minutes into a game and you realize the underdog's got a real chance here and they've got the, they've got the favorite either on the ropes or in trouble here. Talk about how, how exciting that gets for you when you're in a neutral crowd, you know, the entire crowd's going to be rooting for the little guy up against that big, that big top seeded favorite. Yeah. Jason, it happens every year. It doesn't mean that there's an upset or a huge upset every year, but there's a moment in a game at one of these sites and a neutral site, as you said, where the swing vote favors the underdog and you can feel it. You can feel the groundswell of emotion in the arena and you can feel it building amongst the two teams, the stress levels for the higher seed. And then right. can we actually do this? That mentality for the lower seed. Jim Spinarkle and I had it last year with St. Peter's on that incredible run. Wow. And then you recognize that that's what everybody in the sports world is talking about. You live in that little bubble for the moment of doing the game and staying focused on the game. And then the moment the game ends, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of text, hundreds of texts as the game is going on. And when the game is over, I look down at my phone and it's 294 (laughs) texts of people that are living this moment with you in some way because it's visceral. Yeah, typically only 215 of those are from me. Uh, So, yes, (laughs) (laughs) Ian, we're out of time, but thank you so much, man. We so appreciate you, your time, and uh, we can't wait to hear you again on TV, man. Good luck. Yeah, excited. It's always fun, guys. Great talking to you. Be He's well. the best. Iron Eagle with us inside the press box.
Special thanks again to Mike Grace and Press Box Radio for, one, allowing me to, to be a contributor to the show every once in a while, and two, for allowing me to use our interview that uh, Mike and I did with Ian Eagle of CBS Sports. You can find Press Box Radio on Twitter at Press Box Radio 1 or look it up on the App Store. You can find the Press Box Radio Show every Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and you can listen to it on demand anytime you want. So, again, thanks again, Press Box Radio. Steve Carney coming up next. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to be a first-time home buyer looking to upsize or even downsize your current property situation? Reach out to Jason Powers at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404, anywhere in the state of Florida. Let's get you pre-approved, figure out how much money, how much house you can afford, whether it's an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo loan, even bank statement loans if you're self-employed, we can help you. You need to buy, you want to build a home. We got a new construction loan available for you. Are you looking to renovate your home? There are renovation loans available and we are experts in the renovation loan it part of the uh, home financing business. Reach out to me, Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. From Miami to Orlando to Jacksonville in Pensacola and anywhere in between, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending where it, my loan gets you into your home. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed our chat with Ian Eagle from CBS. He'll be uh, getting busy real soon here with the with March Madness and the regional starting next week. Next up, we're going to talk to Steve Carney. Steve is the is a Rays insider down here in the Tampa Bay area. He also works for MLB covering spring training, and he's also the host of the UTOR podcast. Does all things Rays, Tampa Bay, and he's, like I said, very active in the uh, – baseball world to come spring training time we're going to talk to steve on some not so fun news we had a tragedy down here in the if you not have not been or not aware a tragedy in the tampa bay rays organization over the weekend their longtime play-by-play uh announcer dave wills passed away on sunday uh, unexpectedly and obviously uh, the rays uh, organization as well as the tampa bay community very well, very well versed with Dave and very attached to Dave Wills. And another guy I know knows Dave very well is Steve Carney. So welcome in, Steve. I know it's not the best news, but appreciate you joining us. Yeah, it's not it's not fun uh to to talk about Dave in the past tense. Um, because you know, Dave was so you know, in the moment and having worked with him for as long as I did, uh, you know, this has been it's been a rough couple of days, but I appreciate you having me. Yep. Uh, so let's talk about Dave. Again, we want to celebrate Dave here. This is totally all yes. about celebrating Dave. For Dave was 58 years old. Uh, he passed away on Sunday morning from all reports. Um, he had had some health issues last year with the Rays and it stepped away for a couple of weeks and came back, I believe, in the playoffs. Yep. And, uh, there, you know, there, nobody had known it. And again, this was an unexpected passing. He was not in the hospital. I think he passed away at his house. Uh, yep, but he 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 passed away early Sunday morning in his sleep. He had worked Saturday. They had a, the Rays had had a spring training broadcast at Steinbrenner Field uh, against the Yankees, a, a game that the Rays won fourteen to ten. And uh, I had seen Dave on the Thursday previous, so I had seen him just a couple of days earlier. and talked with him, uh, you know, very briefly. Uh, but from what I could see, Dave looked good. He sounded good. And uh, it was kind of a surprise 
Um, despite the fact that, yes, he missed a couple of weeks last year with uh, with about a tachycardia, which is an irregular heartbeat, um, missed the last uh, two weeks or so of the regular season, but like you mentioned, had come back, worked both playoff games, did not have an issue, uh, went all the did everything that he normally does in the off season uh, with uh, buddy baseball and some of the other things that, uh, that he like that he liked doing charity wise yeah. uh, in the Tampa Bay region. And then it come back and it had worked the first couple of weeks of spring training uh, right. without any issues. And it was just, uh, it was a, as I, as I've said to a lot of people, I mean, it was a real gut punch when I walked into Tropicana field on Sunday morning to find yeah. out that, Dave was no longer with us and that they had canceled the broadcast that day. They canceled the broadcast that they were going to have the next day. Uh, and uh, it's going to be next weekend before they, uh, they go back on the air from, uh, from what I've been told by, uh, by the organization. Yeah. I, uh, me and a guy, a friend of, you know, TJ Reeves were up in Charlotte doing the big South conference tournament, I mean, literally 11 o'clock or so hour, hour and a half before tip off. We got the news, and it was just you know TJ who knew Dave well and lived in lived. Yeah, in TJ community. lived in the same neighborhood, right? Right. So he was getting blown up on his phone and all that stuff. Just what was going? On. Let's talk about Dave a little bit. So Dave's a Chicago guy. He'd been with the race since two thousand and five, so eighteen years. So he'd been there. He'd been here a long, long time. What was the what's the connection that he had with the audience? What did he? What were some of the things he was able to do to really connect with the Tampa Bay Rays in the in the Florida audience? Well, uh, for for the kids, Jason, they would say he kept it real. Uh, Dave was about as genuine of a guy that you could meet, uh, and everybody that knew Dave will tell you that what you heard on the radio from Dave Wills is exactly what you got when you saw him in the supermarket or at a local watering hole or at a charity event. He was the exact same person. He was extremely gregarious, very, he was a larger than life individual. It started with the voice I and mean, the voice was one of these voices that, you know, radio guys like myself and you, we, we all wish we had that voice, right? Uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a truly a, a gift. And uh, I remember when I met him in 2006 and he found out that I was going to be doing some of the Rays games. This was his second year with the team, uh, both him and Andy Freed uh, going into their second year. And that 2006 Devil Rays team was really, really bad. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was really bad. So Dave and Andy were the show. Yeah, You had to take uh, what, what I like to say. You had to take chicken, you know what, and turn it into chicken salad. Right. Uh, because uh, they, they told a lot of stories and they made sure that those broadcasts were entertaining despite the fact that the team was no good. So, uh, but I remember meeting Dave and the, the big voice comes out and you're going, Oh my God, you know, how can something like that uh, like ex exist? Like, I understand it comes out of his mouth, but uh, <laughs> it, like that should not happen. But then, you know, he started asking questions about my background and, you know, what I liked and where I had come from and what my baseball experience was. And, and we got to talking and I know Andy Freed tells tells a story and he told the story on my podcast under the orange roof uh, episode one, by the way, uh, we, we talked about Dave and the, they had dinner the first night and they didn't have to worry about uh, creating any sort of chemistry because they immediately clicked. And I felt the same way. And I went and I remember saying to myself, 
think I'm gonna have some fun working with this guy. And I <laughs> did not know at that time just how right I would be because not only did I do 06 and 07, which were bad years, but I got to do 2008 going to the World Series, 2009, 2010 winning a postseason, uh, winning another uh, division title and going to the postseason that year. And then when I switched away from being his producer and ended up being the Rays beat reporter and seeing him every day, I'd worked with him every day for those five years, but I didn't see him every day because I was in the studio and those guys were out on the road. But then I started seeing him every day and working with him and it got even more enjoyable. I could have dinner with Dave and Andy and listen to the stories. And, and I met so many good people because of Dave Wills. I, I've said uh, on, a, on a couple of radio shows, like if you wanted to know, you know, the right people to know and the right places to go in Major League Baseball, all you had to do was follow Dave. He knew everybody. And he knew, okay, that's a that's a good restaurant. That's a good bar. That place stays open late. These people are are fun. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't for Dave, I would never have met Sean Clancy, who owned Foley's uh, in New York, the big baseball bar in Manhattan across the street from uh, the Empire State Building, which is now sadly closed because of the pandemic. But Sean moved to Tampa Bay. So I, I see Sean a lot now. I would never have met the Bertucci's. Uh, who own uh, the bar across the street from Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago uh, and <laughs> and know those wonderful folks. I never would have met uh, Rick Radzik, who was at the time when I first met him, uh, an engineer and a producer and is now the program director of the most powerful sports radio station, arguably in the country, 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. Uh, you know, there's so many people that I've met because of Dave, and those are just, you know, three or four examples of it. Uh, but you know, and it's because I was in Dave's orbit. We all were. Yeah. I mean, again, we, as many baseball fans are, they fall in love with the radio broadcaster, the guy, you know, a lot of fans love to listen to it on the radio, whether it's a couple innings here or there, uh, you know, the description, the, the, that's the beautiful element of, instead of watching it on TV, a lot of people still like to listen to the radio and mm -hmm. hear the play by play and all the description and all that. And Dave did a great job doing that for 18 years have you heard anything from the Rays about kind of the plan moving forward as far as closer to the regular season and replacing him or what, kind of what's the thought? Have you heard anything on that front? First off, you could never replace Dave. Uh, that's, that's for sure. And I don't think the Rays are going to try to replace Dave. Now, as for their actual broadcast, I do know that their next broadcast is going to be on Saturday uh, during spring training. Uh, I would assume that Neil Solons, who has been the uh, pregame and postgame show host since 2012, so Neil's been around for 11 years as well. Right. He's going into his 11th season, or ex let me do my count here. 12th season. Yeah, 12. Uh, so I would assume that Neil will be leaned on quite heavily uh, for some for to try and uh, you know put things together. But yeah. uh, I I also know that uh, the Rays are, have announced that they will do a special pregame tribute to Dave on April 22nd, uh, which is uh, a matchup uh, at Tropicana field against the Chicago white Sox who Dave worked for prior right. to coming to Tampa Bay. So it, it's nice that they're going to do this with the white Sox in town as well. So they can uh, be a part of it as well, but really there's nothing that's been set in stone apart from the fact that they're going to start broadcasting again 
on Saturday. And I think that's good because I think Dave would want it that way. It's kind of like, uh, uh, on sat on Sunday night, after I got done with the, with the game, I went and had a cold beverage for, <laughs> for Dave, uh, because I, yeah. I just said, I think he would like it if I, if I did that and, and, you know, thought of him and, and, and saluted him for, for everything that he's done for me. Cause he's done so much to, to help my career. And, uh, so just a, a little, a little bit of a thanks and have a, have a pop for Dave. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Dave. We love you. We miss you, man. And, uh, we will, uh, you will never be forgotten here in the Tampa Bay community for sure. No, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely true. Cause on Sunday I was working, uh, uh, the game as the official score, uh, for, for MLB. I, I got a, an opportunity to do that. It was the first game I ever did it at Tropicana first game I ever scored at Tropicana field. So I had told Dave on Thursday when I saw him, I was like, Hey, I got a OS, uh, on Sunday's game. And that meant I had to do the press box announcements for, you know, Hey, that's a hit. That's, and so he goes, you better not screw it up. Cause you will, cause I will let, I will, wait, wait, how did he, how did he say, it? he said, you better not screw up. Cause you'll hear about it from me. <laughs> that's the, and, and oh my God. So of course, first inning top of the first, I I'm fine. Bottom of the first inning, the, um, the raise, uh, inning comes to an end on a line out double play. And so it's caught by the third baseman thrown to the, the second baseman for the, to double up and, and end the inning. So I, so I go into the microphone and I go double play is five, four. And then I looked up and I thought, was that really the third baseman? Nah, it couldn't have been the third baseman. I thought it was closer to the shortstop. And I, and I go correction six, four. <laughs> and then I look back up and everybody looks at me like, what are you doing? You idiot. You know, <laughs> Now, obviously that was the third baseman that, that caught it. And so I went down and then, so I go back to the microphone. And I go, now nah, I had it right. The first time five, four in <laughs> yeah. the press box PA. And, and so like everybody chuckles and I turned around to the, the P one of one of the guys that works for Ray's PR. And I said, Dave, first off, Dave would have loved that. And secondly, <laughs> Dave would have never have let me heard the end of it. Lit you up. He would have lit <laughs> you up post game. He'd have worn me out. It would have been great though. I, would have, I, but I smiled the rest of the game because of it. That's a perfect segue. You see, you, you probably thought cause the Rays are so used to shifting. That's why you probably thought it was a, a, uh, a six, four double play. All right, let's get to <laughs> some of the, let's get to some of the new rules that are, that you're seeing implemented the shift. There's some changes to the shift rules, the pitch clock, the bigger bases, Talk to me about you just you've been around the, the, the grapefruit or the spring training circuit a little bit. Talk mm -hmm. to me about what you've seen, what you like, what you don't like. Well, I, I think that most fans are finding out that the pitch clock is going to be a significant change to uh, not just, uh, you know, the game that you see on the field. But I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of strategy that goes into it, but it's also going to make the games a hell of a lot faster. I can tell you that. That Saturday game at Tropic or uh, at Steinbrenner Field between the Rays and the Yankees, talking about a game that they scored a combined 24 runs on 29 hits, <laughs> and the game was two hours and 56 minutes wow. long. It was under three hours. That game, most seasons, even in spring training, that game's three and a half, at three least. hours and 40 minutes long, yeah. you know, two hours and 56 minutes. The the average time uh, of a major league game right now in the spring is somewhere around two hours and 30 
seven or 38 yep. minutes long, yep. as opposed to last year in spring training when it was like 304. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about having 25 or 26 minutes cut off just uh, just from the from the pitch clock and, and trying to get things sped up. I think that's a it's a really good sign. You haven't seen too much of the of the shift issues here in the spring because teams aren't shifting. It's also why you haven't seen so much about uh, a the what they call disengagements from the rubber now where you can right. only throw over twice uh, without penalty. Uh, and unless you get get the guy out and then it becomes a because uh, if you don't, it, it, it's then a balk. You right. haven't seen that in, in the spring because guys don't really throw over uh, during the spring. You're going to I think that's something that come March 30th, uh, you might see a little bit. But uh, as of right now, the big thing has been the pitch clock. And, and I think it's been a, uh, you know, talking to some of these, uh, you know, national uh, baseball writers and, and pundits. I ran into Tim Kirkjian uh, of ESPN a couple of days ago and asked him what he thought about it. Cause he was not in favor of it right. to start the year. And he went, you know what? I'm now, uh, I'm now a believer in it. So I'm, I'm, I was, I'm really impressed to see how so many people have come around to it. And now comes the part where I think it's going to be the most fun is how do teams strategize using the pitch clock? Cause you're going to see, a lot of pitchers, and you've seen Max Scherzer do it already in the spring, but you're going to see a lot more guys that work quickly now start to use the pitch clock in their favor to try and throw off hitters' timings. And you saw early in spring training where the umpires called ended a game basically by calling a guy out for not being in the box. It'll be interesting to see if There's, the umpires enforce this. Oh, that that season. that is good. That is going to be enforced from from day one. Talking to the league, that's. That that is going to happen, and it's happened more than more than just that one time to end an inning. That the one you're talking about between the Red Sox and the Braves actually ended the game, right? Uh, but even to even today, uh, with the with the Rays in Clearwater against the Phillies, we saw some. There was another rule. There's a there's another part of that rule when it comes to the pitch clock that most people don't realize, and that is when a when when there's nobody on base, the pitcher stepping off the rubber does not stop the clock. Yeah. <laughs> so Luis Patino was assessed a ball because he tried to step off the clock to try and call time. The umpires are not going to call are not going to grant pitchers time with nobody on base. Mm -hmm. So he ended up having to take the ball uh, because of it. No doubt. No. What is the when does the clock actually start when the batter walks into the new a new batter new batter walks into the box? Is that when the clock actually starts? All right, so the the way it's the way it works is that in between uh batters it's 30 seconds. Okay. And that that comes from when the, when the play ends, that 30 second clock will start. Gotcha. So, you know, throwing the throwing the ball around whatever. Um and then in between uh when when there's when uh when there's pitches, it it's when the when the pitcher gets the ball back on the mound from the catcher. Yep. From the catcher or the yes. or the home plate umpire, if it's and a it foul stops ball. and it stops when the pitcher starts his movement. Gotcha. It's not when he delivers, but when he starts his movement. Now right. there are some guys like Luis Garcia of the Houston Astros that used to rock the baby. Yeah, yep. that's that's not happening anymore. They they've the umpires have said that they can't do that. It's got to be one motion to get to go in, and so 
you're you're not going to see guys doing what Luis Garcia did last year. All right, last question. I'll get you out of here. Two, I got two questions for actually. Any update on the race stadium situation? Uh, the stadium situation looks like it's going to be St. Petersburg. Uh, you know, the, the city of St. Petersburg chose the Rays uh, redevelopment plan uh, combined with Heinz. That's the first step. Um, I haven't heard anything from Tampa, and it doesn't look like Tampa is going to have anything ready in time yeah. uh, before before they start getting everything together to start putting shovels in the ground. So it looks like it's going to be St. Petersburg. Last question is, as Selection Sunday approaches, how many brackets do you do? I do two. Um, I do a, I, I do one that I'm like, okay, this is my this is my serious legit bracket, one. Yep, my my legit one. And then I try and do a, um, oh, like kind of like a like a Discordian one uh, where where it's <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have uh, you know, Liberty whoever, Liberty whoever, go to the final eight. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, really. I, I'm gonna have say, but but last year that's how I got St. Peter's. Yeah. So there you I, go. I, I mean, I had say I had St. Peter's in the Sweet Sixteen. I didn't. I didn't have them going as far as they did, but I did put St. Peter's in the in the Sweet Sixteen. Well, great work, Steve. Keep it up. Tell everybody where they can find all your great stuff online. Uh, I am uh, on social media. I'm at Steve Carney, S-T-E-V-E-C-A-R-N-E-Y. You can catch me at stpete9.com. That's for all things raised. And the Under the Orange Roof podcast, uh, which is available uh, anywhere you get your favorite podcast, latest episode, talking about the passing of Dave Wills. And I also want to give a shout out to Steve. Steve was Steve was our uh, our general manager quarterback for our uh, Florida Football Insiders podcast that we did during the college football season. So I appreciate all the efforts there on that front. Hey, 2023 season's coming quickly. <laughs> I hope you're ready. I hope you can get Levitt. I hope I, I hope you pay Levitt well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, hey, Steve, appreciate the great work, man. Keep it up. Enjoy spring training, and we will talk soon. All right. Thank you, Jason. You got it. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.